0: Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and
1: insight.
0: My guest today on One For The Road is the lead singer-songwriter of the band Deaf Havana, who have had three top ten albums and one top five. They've toured all around the world, they've headlined Brixton Academy, and they've also supported Kings of Leon. Please welcome the fantastic James Veckelodi. <laughs> so James, welcome to my podcast, One for the Road. You are the lead singer and guitarist of the amazing band, Death Havana. How are you today, mate? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. How are you? I'm fine, mate, apart from realising my headphones have gone flat, so I'm hoping this will be okay. But uh, (laughs) it's so lovely to have you on, mate. I listened to your new single this morning in bed at about 6 o'clock. That's probably why my headphones went flat. uh, (laughs) Because I listened to it over and over again. And do you know what? It's it's. I will say it's fantastic. I love it, mate. So well
1: done. Thank you so much. That means a lot.
0: Yeah. And thank you for having me on here as
1: well. Yeah.
0: when um did you lot get together then was it at school or later on
1: yeah it was so originally it was at school so like our old bass player was in my loads of my classes at school and the well actually our drummer didn't go to our school but he went to like a nearby school but we, yeah we all met at school interesting because when i went to
0: school you always had the people um at the end of term they'd get up on the stage no one could really play <laughs> you know it was yeah. a bit with shambles but What you've done since then is amazing. So you you all started playing together at school. When did booze come
1: into it? Um, Booze came into it. So like I I grew up in, I went to high school in a place called Norfolk, which is like, I don't know if anyone's ever been there or if you've been there, but it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty odd. Luckily I'm not actually like from there. So my blood is not Norfolk, (laughs) luckily, but it's, it's a bit remote and there's nothing to do. So a lot of it is, very young age, like, I guess like anywhere, if you don't live in, even in a city probably, but like you just get together with your mates and you you do drink and you do you do start drinking. So like I, I first probably got hammered when I was about 14, 15, but it wasn't like, I wasn't like drinking regularly because obviously I still lived at home and I had to go to school and stuff. And I think like, I still, I was I was really nervous. I'm still pretty nervous now, but as a kid, I was quite introverted and nervous. So I wasn't like a big like, like let's go to, let's go out. And I, I was always I remember, I remember this distinctly. When I was underage, I was always scared to go to the pub. Even though I knew that we could get served, I was always like a bit like, no, I can't do that because I'm not old enough. So I was, I was always a bit like weird about it. But I quickly got over that when I left school and started doing stuff more. But like I, the first time I was getting hammered, I, I can't remember who I was listening to on your podcast said the same thing that we said. He used to like pick friends. It might have been, it might have actually been Jack from Tova. He used to yeah. pick friends' houses to go to yeah and drink there i used to do the exact same thing and I, yeah. this is even worse I, I when i was younger i would pretend it was their birthday so my mom would give me a fiver and i'd just spend it on eight cans of castlemaine 4x this is when i was like 14 15 so that's where it started oh so i haven't heard that name for a long time castlemaine
0: 4x remember <laughs> <laughs> limey it sounds a bit like me actually mate it's it's like i wasn't like that i was quite a shy kid yeah, me I mean, too. my parents, they they did their best, but they kind of um, kept me in to keep me exactly. out of trouble, you know. Absolutely so, sa- the same. Yeah. And when I found the outside world, it's almost like I embraced it too quickly. And me I was too. the one hanging around the shops drinking Fosters, I think, yeah. um, which later on in my drinking career, I would never go near because it was like lemonade compared to what I would drink then but the road soon goes downhill after that, doesn't it? Cause you start getting into different substances and I had a really? toe when I was 14 and used to walk around my sleeve rolled up just so I could show it.
1: <laughs> you I know? the exact same
0: thing. And in the meantime, the band was progressing.
1: Yeah. Well, kind of like, so at, where do we, where do we get to 14, 15? So it was obviously like I was still in school and we weren't really, you can't, I mean, unless you're like Justin Bieber or someone, you can't, <laughs> you you can't really focus all your attention on being in a band, and bear in mind in norfolk there's not really any there's n- there isn't a music scene locally, so it was like we we just started it because we, we none of us are into sport and none of us were smart enough to be like nerds, so we were in this weird limbo where we didn't really know what we were yeah. still don't really know what I am but we we all just used to like get together at lunchtime and play music in the music rooms just like shit covers of i don't know Justin well <laughs> I don't actually think Justin Bieber was a thing back then no but yeah so it it, it kind of, it was stat it was like it didn't go anywhere for a long time like we didn't I didn't start actually touring till I was about 18 because I remember I was at college at the time and I had to like leave college because we were although we weren't really making money we were like touring abroad in like Belgium and France and stuff like that so it was kind of it overtook my education so I was dropped out of college which i shouldn't have done but
0: where where was your break then if you you went from playing in the school lunchtime to touring abroad what happened
1: so i mean it still wasn't really a break it was kind of like so do you remember a, a website called myspace yeah so myspace used to act for like bands that hadn't made it as a sort of booking agent you'd like message other bands and be like so message like I don't know like we used to be a lot heavier back in the day. So we would message like, other heavy bands and be like, "You, I see you guys are going to Belgium. Uh, do you need a support? Like we'll we'll drive or like you know what I mean? Like you'd offer stuff like that." And I think that was how we first got out of England. Hmm. And um, yeah, it was it was like that, but it wasn't. It was still like playing in the back room. It was like the equivalent of playing in a pub just in a different country. Do you know what I mean? It was like in a back room of a pub in Paris, and then.
0: Right. Just, uh, yeah, yeah. I used to DJ and uh, I, I had many a gig like that. Trust <laughs> yes.
1: me. I think... So you know what I'm on about.
0: Yeah. So, so Belgium and that, and, and you were 18. So
1: what was your drinking like then? I don't think I've recognized it was a problem and maybe it wasn't, maybe it hadn't like properly turned into a problem. I do remember my mum worried about it, even back then. Like She was like almost, in t- I think she was in tears, like telling me you need to stop drinking because it's, it's damaging you. But I hadn't even like, as far as I'm concerned, I hadn't even begun then. So I was, so so the the thing about when you tour, even if no one knows who your band is, you always get a rider. So like we turn up and and it's always better in Europe for some reason, we'd always turn up and there'd be like 50 beers. And then when they run out, they refill it. So it started, it probably my proper, proper drinking all the time, turning into alcoholism started then. I think
0: bingeing like after gigs and stuff, or would you drink before oh, yeah. a gig
1: or if always before gigs? Like I've, I've spoken to a lot of other people because like, drinking is very prevalent, obviously across the board, but particularly I think in industries such as music or maybe even like actors, I think it's because you kind of are allowed to do what you want. You don't like, I remember when you, when we briefly spoke before you mentioned that you had a business and you, there was, you had obligations that you had to be an mm. upstanding citizen for, you know, I didn't have to do anything. I had to get in a van, travel all day, play for 45 minutes or maybe more, maybe less. And that was it. Mm. And, and like, I very quickly learned how to play hammered. Like I, I didn't have a cutoff point. I would just drink till I went on stage and then drink until I blacked out. So it was, yeah, it was a constant all day. Did that
0: improve your experience on stage? Though? Like when, when you uh, were hammered or do
1: you not remember it? Um, I think it went both ways. I'm not, I've only played one show sober in my life, which was a show that we played like two weeks ago. And that was actually amazing. Like it felt, it felt totally different, but anyway, yeah. we'll go back to go back to when I was 18. I think back then definitely didn't improve my performance. Cause I was just, we went into this with the wrong attitude. We went into this as this is a hobby. This is fun. And we accidentally got some success. Do you know what I mean? Like some people have a vision from the start. We didn't, we were just like, well, oh, this might work, but it, but in reality, we never expected to get out of the little seaside town we grew up in. So we kind of never in Im- what like we never implicated that seriousness. So we would just get hammered all the time. And sometimes it was, it was awful. Like I remember playing a show in Watford and I went up to the mic to sing. And the mic was like 10 feet over there. I was just so blacked out. Like, and I remember like the guy that was driving us ended up just turning off my guitar amp because he was like, mate, you, you're so shit. It's unbelievable. And I don't remember the show. Yeah, it was awful. I shouldn't laugh.
0: I shouldn't <laughs> you can. Laugh, it's, it is I mean,
1: funny, like, sort of.
0: You are funny. And 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 I'll tell you why I shouldn't laugh. It's because um, for people who will end up watching the video of this, in the background you can see a picture of Amy Winehouse. And her sort of story really upsets me because when she, I think she was out, was it in Germany or somewhere, where she couldn't even stand up and everyone was I remember watching that video. And, and um I've got another picture where she played literally the next night at the V Festival. And she looked like she'd never drank in her whole life. She recovered from it incredibly, you know, and people in the audience didn't think she was going to turn up, but with a tragic ending that happened, you know, she was a month sober and then had an argument and, and then binge that night. And that's what happened. And I know she had drinking issues and food issues, but you know, it's, it's such a, a terrible illness and, we can joke about things like that, but it's devastating, isn't it? it? It absolutely is. Absolutely is. So after that, mate, did you get into any other
1: substances? Yeah, a lot. I I, I was kind of just, I was always a bit too scared to be into like psychedelics because I'm, I'm naturally my brain. I don't need any help with my imagination. I, I need stuff that gets me sort of in the presence. So I was massive on cocaine. I, I was like, I did it for years. I don't think people knew for years, but then eventually they, like, I, e- this is how bad it got. Like, even like a couple of years ago, there's there's comments on YouTube videos of me in interviews when I've been on on Coke. And they're like, I love this band, but James needs to stop doing Coke. I'm like, really? Fuck. Yeah. So like, shit. W- when people start noticing who are just like fans watching your interviews on the internet, that is worrying. But yeah, I was so... mainly cocaine really like i I would do anything like ecstasy or whatever but i wasn't it's not really i was more mine was alcohol mainly alcohol and then cocaine do you know what weirdly i escaped that
0: and i i I don't know whether it's an era thing because it was still in my drinking days of people i remember going to a bar where i used to live and people kept getting up going to the toilet coming back and and like rubbing their nose and stuff and it's like why do I keep doing that? I mean, really, it's pathetic I was that naive, but it's because I never did it. Not, and then I was clicked really, on, and I thought, everyone's doing it. And so it's not only giving up the booze, it's giving the Coke up. But I found people can do that easier. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think, like, as much as people say Coke is very addictive, I never found it addictive. I found it immediately addictive. So, like, when you do it, you're like, fuck, I want more now. But in terms of, I, w- I never in my life woke up and was like, oh, I'd love Love to get a bag in. Like whereas I did wake up and go, oh, I'd love I need a drink. Do you know what I mean? Like it never had that effect on me. So for me it was I could sort of take it or leave it. I just I just ended up using it as like a crutch because I would get blacked out drunk and I would use it to sort of like balance.
0: Yeah, I know mm-hmm. what you mean. Because um I won't say it is, but um a friend of mine, he's younger, he's twenty six now, and it goes with a it's a like cigarette after sex. How oh, is it? You baby. And then you take a drag out of a fag, you know, um, and, and it was like, yeah, two, three, four beers in, then it'd be right. Where's who's getting the coke in, you know? Um, and I'm, I feel grateful that I didn't go down that route, but, um, it was hard enough giving up the booze, let alone that. But I've heard that once you give up one, the other comes along with it. So
1: how long have you been sober now, James? So I first, I mean, as I'm sure is the case with loads of people, I've tried to get sober loads of times, and it, I only ever really managed a month. And then April third last year, I managed to get sober, and I did. I stayed sober for basically. I drank this January and regretted it immediately. And now I'm sober again, but I should be a year in April. But I've, how does that make that. you feel? Um, I'm I'm totally torn or like split on it really because. Obviously I'm gutted because I I, I didn't want to be that person that relapsed, but I'm also kind of grateful for it because the entire time that I was sober leading up to that, I was constantly thinking, Oh, I wonder what it's like if I have a drink Oh, I I reckon I've fixed myself. I reckon I don't have that thing anymore where I can only have, where I can't have one or two. Do you know what I mean? Tried it. And immediately my brain was like, right, you you need to go to the shop. How can you start hiding stuff? When can you get some gear in? Like it Mm. was, it was, yeah, I, there's two paths I can take in my life. One is out drugs and alcohol, and it will end in the complete destruction of all of my relationships and everything I've ever worked for. And the other is complete, clean, sober lifestyle, where I really dig in and get involved in sobriety and actively live a sober life. They're the only two options for me. I cannot straddle the line because it will always end up one way or the other. Well, it will always end up this way with the drugs and yeah. alcohol.
0: See, I've I got this theory about the line that... Once you cross it, you can't go back. So it's like that saying: you can turn a cucumber into a pickle, but you can't turn a pickle back into a cucumber. You know, oh, and absolutely. I'm like that. And like with my wife, she's never she's got near the line a couple of times in her life, but once she's got near that, it's scared her and thought, no, I don't want to. You know, she's had the. I probably had four hangovers in seven years, and, and she won't go near it. But I went past that line. When I was probably fourteen, I just ran over it really? at hundred miles an hour. But it took me forty years to actually realise it, and it was hard, mate. Was it like hard for you? I mean, were, were your friends saying
1: to you, "Mate, you got to sort it out," or was it your own thoughts? It was. It was a lot. It was a lot of stuff. So, like, even going back to what you said about being fourteen, even when I was fourteen, I was always the kid that like, even though I don't. I don't think that I thought I had a problem when I was that young, but I was still always the kid that was like blacking out at house parties. And like, they would like my friends would have to like try and move me. Do you know what I mean? So even back then it was a problem. And then it just, I just always was the the person that was the most drunk. And I had like loads of my friends, you get two types of people. I think the ones that actually care about you and they're always going to like demonstrate concern. And then you've got the other ones that sort of like use you as a, validation I've done it myself I've like I hang out with people that I know will always want to get fucked so that I feel less bad about myself sorry can I am I allowed to swear yeah I, yeah yeah I completely forgot um so yeah but like, but like mainly it's always been like my relationships I've, I've never really been single like I've always I don't I'm not very I'm not exactly like a I'm scared of talking to girls so I've always been in long-term relationships so I it was always my partners that were very we only had like three relationships but like my my current wife now is she's from Colombia. So she knows so much about the stigma of like cocaine and she hates cocaine. So she was always dead against that. And she also doesn't, she's like a normal drinker. She drinks, she like goes out of her mates, has a couple of glasses of Prosecco. Like she'll get a bottle of wine, drink one glass and then put it back in the fridge. I I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It actually used to annoy me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's all part of the sober shaming, though. Know. It's like I'd say to my wife, oh, yeah. how can you – she'd say to me, line up the conversation, well, you know, when I stop drinking. I might have a drink tomorrow night just to let you know. Okay, then. And then I would get up the morning after, and there would be, like, a silly amount out of the bottle with the cork stopper in there. And it's yeah. like, did you need to really justify that as being a drink because I clean yeah. my teeth with more than that? Yeah. You know? It, it was crazy, but good for them. And, and it shows you can actually have a responsible relationship with alcohol, but it's just Absolutely. I don't understand it. And that's when, when I say to people, look, if, if you, you were on now talking about gambling addiction, I wouldn't get that either because. I,
1: yeah, I don't get it either.
0: No. So, you know, and that's why sometimes us having these conversations is so important because people listening get it
1: absolutely it's the identifications it's the it's the similarities not the differences that that really are the only thing that has helped me get through and be sober and and now really enjoy only since i relapsed i've really love being sober like every day i wake up and i'm like oh my god i haven't got a hangover oh my god i don't have yeah. to apologize to anyone so yeah like you said these conversations if it can help anyone that's amazing i think absolutely
0: mate so you stopped drinking. Did your wife have influence in that? Um, or was it your own choice? And you thought, do you know what? I just need to, or was it a bit of both?
1: My wife had influence in it. So there's a lot of stuff. Like, so do you want me to go through a, a few yeah, like, go. events? Okay. So after 18, I like w- we started actually getting somewhere. And we started playing shows in different places. And then we got signed to like BMG, which is a big, it was like a major label. So we got like, we actually started being a real band and like our songs were on the radio and all that. All that stuff happened. And throughout this whole time, my drinking just increased, 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 increased because with more money comes more like champagne at venues. Yeah. And, like it's, it's just so much stuff. Anyway, fast forward to like 2019, me and my wife were really not getting on because of alcohol, obviously. And then we went to a gig and I like, after the gig, I I overdosed on Xanax and alcohol. And I don't, I don't think it was like a, I don't think I was Attempting to to overdose, I just was like, I don't care about anything. I was hammered, and I, my friend gave me some Xanax. He was like, use this tomorrow to. He gave me loads. He was like, use this tomorrow to to not be anxious. And I was like, no, nah, I right. do it now. Anyway, that was like a big thing. I passed out on the street, couldn't move me. They have to like lift me into a cab, get me home, call an ambulance. Loads of bullshit. So after that, this was like early 2019. I sort of stopped drinking for a bit, maybe for a month, but then I just started again. Spiraled. Then we went on tour in Asia in August, 2019. And my wife came with us, which was a mistake. <laughs> but anyway, it wasn't a mistake. Cause it kind of, it actually led up to me not drink stopping drinking for good. But anyway, she, she came there and then my drinking just escalated, escalated, escalated. We argued loads and at the airport on the way home, when she was going home, she basically broke up with me and we stopped. We, we separated for seven months or maybe eight months in which time I had to move back to my grandparents' house because it's the only – my family are all insane, by the way. Like none of them live – like my mum lives in a caravan. <laughs> my, my dad lives in a flat in I do not even nowhere. So the only like stable place I had to go was my grandparents' house. So I had to move there. I was living there on my own, like no money, nothing, just drinking every day on my own. And then I was just – one day I was like, I need to get my wife back because this is awful. I didn't even stop drinking either. I just lied to her and managed to convince her that I'd stop drinking. Somehow she took me back. I sort of pretended like I was a normal person for a bit. There was a couple of big like fallouts, but she sort of forgave me because I was pulling my weight a bit more than I used to. And then in on my, it, there's a lot of stuff leading up to it. I was progressively getting worse, like blacking out after like maybe even like four beers. I was like losing my memory. It was awful. And then in in April, beginning of April, like first, no, it might have been the end of March. Anyway, it was around my birthday, which is the end of March. We had a birthday party and I blacked out the whole thing and then woke up the next day. And apparently I'd like try to assault people at the the party and was just being like a different person. And that was the first time in my life I ever actually like been scared by what I'd done. I was like, if, if this is who I turn into, which I later found out probably it wasn't, and it might have been. Bullshit, but anyway, I was like, I was so scared. I was like, if this is what I turn into, I can never touch alcohol and drugs again. So then, I the only thing I knew about was Alcoholics Anonymous. so I found it online, and went to a meeting like two days later. And yeah, it it kept me sober for a long time.
0: Did you get yourself a sponsor?
1: Yeah, I got a sponsor, and the only reason I relapsed is because I stopped talking to him, and I moved out of London, Mm. and and I didn't, I wasn't engaging in sobriety, and I was resenting sobriety, which is. Which is totally the wrong approach, and you're never going to succeed if that's the case. Why? Why do you think that was? I think I, I think I was kind of like mourning the loss of a good friend, which is yeah, what booze has been my entire life. So I've been talking about that a lot lately about a grieving process. It feel it felt like that for sure. Yeah,
0: because do you know what? It, it's um, natural. So say like I always say that booze to me was like having a mistress. People have heard me say that before. And it was exciting, it was tempting, but it's also so damaging for my mental health, for my stress yeah. levels and that. So I had to finish with my mistress, right? And that's why when I come back to moderation doesn't work for me, because it'd be like not seeing her in the week and then having a Saturday night in a hotel. Yeah. You know, absolutely. you never get over it. But I reached a point in my sobriety, which was probably a year ago, that I actually thought, Do you know what? I feel a real loss. In my life because this has been a coping mechanism for me for 40 years from when
1: exactly
0: i was 14 years old i've always used this to cope with whatever situation has stressed me out caused me pain and whatever and it, it, i realized then that i had to go for a grieving process and that sort of took me onto to another level then and in a way i still do grieve but it's the same as thinking about an ex. You know, we, we have that breakup and initially, like the pink cloud bit, initially yeah. we're like, oh, wow, this is great. I'm actually doing this. I can't believe it. And then you have a bit of a slump because you come out of the pink cloud and that's like the same as a relationship, in it? Because you, totally. you're like initially, oh, like um, I can wear what I want. I can go out when I want. I can eat what I want. When I come back, yeah. the house is the same as when I left it and all that business. But then you start to, it's the the fantasy comes in of it well, wasn't that bad and maybe i could just see him once i have another one drink and that and it's Absolutely. such a bloody mixture of emotions isn't it when you're
1: totally going through it it's and like retrospect is a beautiful thing as well like you, when i look back on my drinking i don't really think about all the stuff i just told you and there's worse stuff than that i'm sure which i just can't think of right now i think about like the amazing parties I went to or like the holidays I went to, mm. which actually weren't that amazing. All they were was me getting on someone's nerves most of the time. Like it was always wake up the next day. Who have I offended now? Who do I have to apologize to? It was awful. So yeah. Like but do you know what
0: James with. as well? What I've come to accept as well is initially I was like justifying everything. So well, yeah, it was Me good, too. and it was this, that, and whatever. But do you know what? I, I've come to peace with that now. That is, I have had some amazing times. I've had some amazing Absolutely. holidays. I've met some incredible people. But that was then, and this is now. And I'm in the present now, and this is the path I've chosen. And And it's a bit like when you move, like area or country or whatever, and you always look back at it. It's actually, I had a good 10 years there, but in the end, yeah it didn't really serve me anymore. And that's why I moved and accepted, you know, and that acceptance can help you move on. And that's kind of where I am now. And jumping in again, when you say you relapsed in January, relapse is a a strong word to Mm me.
1: Yeah, I think, I think maybe it is a strong
0: word. Well, I I just say, you know, you've slipped up. Slipped. 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 Right. It doesn't give it as much weight. And then, and it's more forgiving for you. And also you think, okay, what, Which I'm going to ask you now what what led up to that. But you can use that as evidence. You can think, do you know what? I know where that came from, which you've explained already. And next time I start to feel like that, I can recognize
1: it and then stop that happening. Totally. What led up to it for me was a a number of things. Like a lot of it was just constantly thinking about drinking and like romanticizing the time I had and getting frustrated. Instead of like how I feel now is I'm, enjoying I, i'm like take pride in the fact that i don't drink and like i feel i take pride in it and i feel very like i feel like it's something that should be like applauded not not by other people but like by myself do you know what i mean like it's a big step for me whereas before i was just looking at my mates on instagram which is detrimental to my mental health anyway yeah because loads of my mates lived in spain i was looking at them like going out every night i was like oh i wish i could do that. It's yeah it's yeah. just just pure resentments and it it wasn't healthy and then i i did it and i realized that no unfortunately i'm not that if i want to if i want to maintain my relationship with my amazing wife who's part with more than i can even muster up like i got back my brother stopped talking to me by the way for a year who's like always my best mate and it was all because of booze i've now got a great relationship again with him he's the guitarist in our band all my relationships have fixed almost all of them have just gone Mm. back to like and they're stronger than ever purely because of not drinking so i know that it doesn't work for me, but no. I had to, I sort of had to test it. Cause I was like, well, maybe I can, but absolutely not. doesn't work. I have to follow this lifestyle. And it's interesting because, um, you do
0: the step program, right? Yeah. So the structure works for you, doesn't it? You, you probably, yeah. someone that needs that structure because I when you it, stop, yeah. yeah. When you stop talking to your sponsor, it's interesting that it went downhill. So maybe the lesson learned there is connection is so important because the I way understand. I do it is with my community. And I find that yeah, if I become isolated, it challenges me. So I have to stay connected.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it's the same. It's pretty much the same for, well, me and AA anyway. Like it, you have to be part of that community. Otherwise I get in my own head way too much. I'm sure, I'm sure you do too. I'm sure everyone does, but that's not really a healthy place because it just breeds. Oh, just, The more I think, the more I'm like, excuse coming up with excuses as to why maybe i can drink so you're absolutely right i need to be fully engaged like last night i went into london and went to a like meditation meeting which was it's just great like i never thought i'd be a person that said i go to a meditation meeting every wednesday night and i sit in a room full of other amazing alcoholics and close my eyes and meditate for 20 minutes and then listen to people share i never thought i'd be that person but it works and it makes, I come back and I feel like full of energy. And life.
0: Yeah. It's like a bloody power nap. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> meditation doesn't work for me, but I'll have to introduce you to someone who's also been on my podcast, Josh Connolly. He's amazing. And he does breath work and we meet amazing. up in London, uh, same kind of thing. It's a circle of men and we all introduce ourselves and have a chat and that. And then we um, do some breath work and I end up laying on the floor. Uh, yeah. And then we lit, literally rip out a scream at the end and let go of all the tension and that. And you're knackered at the end of it. That sounds great. It's so good. And the connection there. And, uh, I love Josh. He's an amazing man. I'll,
1: I'll have to listen. I haven't listened to his episode. I'll have to listen
0: to Yeah. He's, he's, uh, incredible. He was a child of an alcoholic and, uh, he, the work he does, he's, he's an ambassador for nakoa and that, but it was funny, mate. Cause I met him, uh, at the BBC for a coffee And um, as I walked in, I I bumped into Tyson Fury, right? And I literally went, oh, hello, mate. You all right? And he went, yes, thank you. Like, very articulate. And I I went, cool, mate. You're a legend. Bye. Like that. And That's exactly how I would be. Yeah, yeah. And I saw Josh, and I said, I've just... He went, well, did you get a picture? I went, no. He's like... Oh my God! What are you doing? Do you know what I mean? It's like one of those those moments in life that you can't always in it. I think he's he's
1: sober, isn't he? As well.
0: So yeah, yeah, about. yeah, yeah. I I watched um, a video on uh, YouTube the other day why you mustn't drink alcohol. But do you know what? When you look at all the top entrepreneurs and whatever that um, they're all sober, and a lot of musicians are now, and it's no longer like a trend; it's a lifestyle change. Yeah, and it totally I, I'm is. wondering, like. How this is going to affect your music in the future, having a clearer mind, more confidence, more self worth, being able to talk about it like you are now, how that's going to impact on your writing as well for your music.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I think I've always tended to write from a negative space or about a negative place. So, luckily, if I want to keep doing that, I've still got an abundance of like stuff I can write about, but from a much clearer and much more positive, hopeful for once in my life. A headspace, which I think is the key. Like, since I started drinking, is for the first time in my life, I've actually been driven to do what I want to do, which I know is music. I want to be, I want to write songs. I want to play music. Maybe not necessarily be in a band for the rest of my life, because that's it's a bit sad when you get older, doesn't it? But like, I want to, I need to do this for the rest of my life, and I want to make a great career and an impact on people's lives. And if I can also help, if there's people that like have are struggling with addiction and they don't know how to stop, and they're aware of me. The fact that I've managed to stop out of everyone, like, should be inspiration to them because, like, I actively said, no, I'll never stop drinking alcohol. I don't want to stop drinking alcohol. I love it. It's part of my personality. I don't know how to function. And I managed to, and I'm happier and clearer than ever.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel. I mean, like, I developed the nickname Gluggs, as many people know, (laughs) right, because I would drink like a fish, like, really quickly as well, like an animal. I, I got um, bet in a pub and I was already drunk. I went to the London tattoo convention at Tobacco Dock and and we were drinking loads of like craft beers and ciders and stuff like that. And uh, I was sozzled, went in this pub in St. Catherine's Dock and there was a load of Geordies in there. And <laughs> they bet me oh, I couldn't drink five pints of Stella in five minutes and I drank five in four minutes. You know, and literally I must admit it, it some was going down the front of my shirt where I was trying to get it in. <laughs> but I did, and I went to the toilet and fell over because that that huge hit of alcohol could have bloody killed me, you know. Absolutely. But but that was my persona, that was my image. But then I used to go home, sit on my own and drink on my own and, and cry. And Or I would listen, I didn't know about your band then, but I, w- I would listen to Pink Floyd over and over yeah. and over again with my headphones on full blast, like literally full blast, like wailing. And so it was like so many split personalities I had with alcohol. And now I I feel like I've got real clarity. And yeah, I can be a moody sod every now and again. You know, I've been quoted as have you got bloody bipolar or something or, you know, split personality? Because yeah. I, I can be really get up one day and, and be singing and dancing and the next completely depressed. Me too. But but that's how I am. But at least I know where I am and I'm more stable. Because when I was drinking, it was like playing Russian roulette because my wife wouldn't know it what way I would go. She would see my eyes change. And it was almost like that Michael Jackson thriller video where yeah. – you know like i turn into either a, a monster or she never knew which for her must have been really scary but yeah now i just turn into a monster and she knows where she is I'm <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh- but you you've got a new single out right coming out called going clear
1: oh that so going clear is already out but then we've got another new one coming out on well this might be out by then another one called kids, which is out on the 11th of March. Okay. Um, going clear is the newest one that's out. Yeah. And is that about your sobriety? Um, go, so going clear, I actually wrote that before I got sober. I wrote that ages ago. And without even realizing that is totally a song about addiction. Like yeah. it's totally a song about th- There's a line in the course, which is like, maybe I don't want to be sober. Maybe I don't want to be sober. And that is totally because I just remember everyone at that point when I wrote it, which was like 2019, Everyone was telling me you have like it was the first time where people were bold enough to really be like you need to stop drinking like it's awful it's affecting everyone you need to be sober, and obviously me being a little kid when everyone tells me to do something I'm like absolutely not I'm going to do the opposite yeah. so I think I was kind of a part of it was rebellious but most of it was just like that's basically me asking for help about how bad my addiction is, is, is
0: probably really. sublimely as well you know like yeah, totally for me. I used to say to him, I know I've got to do something about it. That's all I'd say. And for her, Mm. it's probably the boy who cried wolf all the time. How many times have I heard that? But each time I said it, I knew it, but I didn't know how to do it. And then one day I did it, you know. So it it was – there's a thing called spontaneous sobriety. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's where you just stop overnight. You literally – I think Annie Grace's dad – um, used to drink a bottle of whiskey a day, and then one day you got up and stopped. Wow. Right? Um, and for me, on paper, it looked like I just got up one day on the 7th of January 2019 and stopped. But, but really, I looked into that, and I think subliminally I was leading myself up yeah. to doing that because I couldn't say, right, I am going to stop next Monday – at 8pm, I'm never going to drink it. I couldn't do that. And I know people no. who have done that, and it's worked for them. But for me, I didn't know how it would look for me. But I knew I couldn't carry on the way I was going. And, I mean, 2018 for me was disastrous. I think that was the pinnacle year for me that I thought things couldn't get any worse for me. You know, yeah. literally, it was horrendous. And I, my drinking ramped up to a, a... I don't know how I didn't even kill myself Yeah, yeah, yeah. in that year. That was... That was- that
1: was 2019 for
0: me. Exactly, yeah. the same thing, Just
1: a year later, and, and you look
0: back at it and you think, do you know what? We're survivors. People who give up drinking under club themselves. They they think, do you know what? Every day is really hard. But when you think about what we survived in the past, how we've managed situations, and we come through, we're inc- humans are incredible. You know, um, and that's what I hold on to every day. I think, do you know what? I've I've got out of so many scrapes now. When I've been paralytic, basically. Mm and got myself back, but it's, once you're there, it changes everything, so with your lovely wife, it's changed that,
1: you're back together now, and I bet yeah. she's well happy, isn't she? She is, she's super happy, like, it's it's totally different, like, she, she still has a bit of like, PTSD, because obviously, yeah. there was so, like, we've been together for, almost nine years, and I've only been sober for one, like, not even one year of that, so the, the previous eight years, were like, I was awful. So she's got yeah. a lot of PTSD about that, but she's she still wakes up and like, reminds herself, she's like, oh, he's sober. It's not. That's not going to happen. So it is, yeah, she's, she is over the moon. That's understandable though, you know. Oh, 100%.
0: Because there's such a lot of trauma for the partner. And, and I recorded a podcast with my wife in the first season, episode five. And um, oh, I, I, I think she would identify to that PTSD of, she would know as soon as I've had a drink, and, and I've oh, heard um, it's in the eyes. Like they yeah, yeah. could, but even in the voice, uh, you know, I talk yeah. to children of alcoholics and they, they quite often say, I knew within a millisecond of whether my parent had a drink, you become so highly sensitive to all of it, you know, and yeah. it goes on. Even when you say, right, that's it. I'm sober. They worry that you're going to relapse or slip or however you want to say it. Or, you know, and it goes on for years sometimes,
1: but absolutely yeah
0: you, uh, you know, I think for us, we have to stay in our lane and we have to keep on our path and that and and support them with that, but it's our responsibility to look after us and make sure you know that we stick to what we're doing and it, It's hard for the partner, and I often have these conversations like my wife has had cancer three times, and as a partner, yeah. No one really asked how I was. Yeah. So it's the same for a partner of an alcoholic, where where it's like, "Oh, how are you? How are you since he's stopped drinking? Like, are you managing? Are you?" And it's such an important thing. That's that's. Um,
1: yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah, and also it's good for us to check in. Oh, totally. So I do it after this podcast.
1: I will. <laughs>
0: I will. I actually will. So I understand that you've got a gig coming up soon at the Royal Albert Hall, right?
1: yes uh when is it 21st of march at the royal albert hall yeah support it's for teenage cancer trust and it's supporting a friend of ours band don broker yeah it'd be cool it'd be really cool never been I, I, i've looked venue. at
0: the band online as well and they're, they're amazing and and the yeah. royal albert hall is fantastic i went there years ago to see katie Melua. Um, Really? yeah and okay. and she came out um and she looked like a little girl holding a guitar and um She just sat in a stall and she went, hello. Um, And then started singing. It's like, whoa. It absolutely blew me away. And I went there as well. I think it was VE Day or something for a remembrance thing. And the acoustics in there are, it's literally incredible. It's got a beautiful uh, atmosphere there. So can't wait. So, James, what have you got coming up in the near future? Your new album is out in July.
1: Yes. So, album's out. I think it's 15th of July, but don't yeah. quote me on that.
0: No, it is. I've written down <laughs> okay, cool. because it's four days for my birthday. So oh, wicked. I tweet myself.
1: There you go. Well, I'll, I'll send you on. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I'll send you on for free. Um, so we've got that. And then before that, we've got like a festival called Slam Dunk in the UK, which is like the one we've played before, but that should be cool. We're headlining a stage there. That's in June 3rd and 4th, I think. Then the album comes out. Then maybe some more festivals in the summer, but we don't know because it's, there's still loads of stuff backed up from COVID where we, where people didn't play for a year and a half. And then we'll definitely have like a full UK tour and probably like a German and Europe tour maybe in October after the summer. So a lot of stuff, I think, I think I just want, cause like, I know it sounds cliche, but cutting out alcohol gives me so much more free time, so much more clarity of mind that I just want to like dive in and be as focused as I possibly can. So I want, I just want to be busy, but, We'll see. And it's also meeting people
0: in the community because I interviewed Jack Valdry from Tova. And since then you've listened to his music and that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. he came to one of my events and, um, he, he couldn't believe that how tight knit the sober community is. Whatever way you choose to do it, it's so close knit. And it's almost like we all identify with what we've been through. And it's like a rebirth. You know, it's incredible. It's like people that go to prison and they find God, right? It changes their whole life. And it feels like this with sobriety. It's like when we open our eyes up and think, do you know what? We've removed one thing from our life and it's created so much room like what you said about it's created so much space from the minute you get up and you've had a good night's sleep and you feel positive and you feel fresh. You get through your day, you and your wife are in a better place. Your writing's different, you know, and then you go to meditation and you haven't got that burden of
1: thinking about alcohol all the time. It's Absolutely. such a relief, isn't it? I know. It's just, there's there's a, this is a bit cheesy, but there's a line in like the Alcoholics Anonymous book, which says you can, you can achieve a life beyond your wildest dreams. And if you take that to be like if you take that as like a grandeur thing yeah. it's it's a bit crazy but this is actually a life beyond my wildest dreams because I never thought I could stop drinking ever in my life and even something as simple as that to me is already a life a, a life where I don't have to apologize to my wife every day about something I did the night before to me yeah. is just like it's amazing as simple as that is it's amazing
0: yeah and not remember what you did the night before and that to be reminded of it you know exactly and it it, and that's not you know that's that's amazing and it's having that clear conscience i mean like even like coming in from working and there's two empty wine bottles on the table and i'm thinking why are they there oh i know she's found them And she's put them on the table for everything. And the shame I felt not even remembering where they come from, or I used to hide them in the garden, you know, anywhere to just, well, I I never used to remember it, to be honest. It was like weird. And and to not have that in my life anymore and have a clear conscience and clarity is just everything for me. And, you know, I I used to look down at the floor all the time and everything was dark above me, but now I, I look up and I look at me the, too, you know, Absolute, and that's, that's such ridiculous. a good
1: way of putting it. Yeah. That, that, Put it in a song actually, and then I can get a credit for it. I definitely will. I definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> that actually perfectly explains how I feel though. I, I've, that, that is exactly it. Now I look up instead of down.
0: Do you know what? There was a film and I'm, I didn't nick it from that. I've just remembered it. It's a French film and I think it was directed by Luc Besson and it was called Angela, but it was actually Angel A. And it was uh, Black and White. It was about this guy that he was drinking. He owed loads of money. And he just used to look. He walked around Paris looking at the floor all the time. Mm. And he met this woman called Angela. And she just used to put her hand under his chin and lift mm-hmm. his head. Look up. Look around you. And they were on a bridge. And they looked at all the beautiful views of Paris and whatever. And maybe that I did, Nick, it. I'm thinking about it. But, hey. But it, it made me realize that we're so blinkered when we're drinking, you know, that's all we think about all the time from the minute you wake up to regret and remorse to then lunchtime, you start to change your mind. And then that addictive voice comes, maybe just the one tonight and then to then drinking, then the whole hamster wheel again. But when you stop, you take those blinkers off and you look around at everything in such a different way. And
1: the sun comes out. That's that is literally it. And it, for me as well, it's just not having to be, like, sneaky and all the lies that you got to keep track of. Like, just even something as simple as, like, asking my wife if she wanted a bottle of wine when, when she comes home, I'd buy two, neck one before she got back, and then like, yeah, just stupid stuff. You know what it's like. like just the, the lies that I had to keep track of and just the sneaky. It's horrible. I it's it. horrible.
0: I, I used to do the same. I used to go to the pub, go to um, the shop over the road, buy two bottles of wine, but drink one walking back out the bottle and I knew where the bin was where I could chuck the bottle in and then go back with one bottle of wine. And she'd say, I don't want that. And I knew that. So I could have another one.
1: You know, it was just the same as me. It's it's, you know, that's the thing. Like you, you build your life around, or I did anyway, build my life around, like knowing exactly where I can get booze from, where I could hide it. Just it's mental. Like even so much as like when I was going to, like walking somewhere, I'd make sure I walked away where there were pubs and but just it's just it literally controls your entire life.
0: And I, th- I think there'd be a lot of people listening to this that can really relate to that. And this is why I do it because it's stories like yours that people listen to it come off and go, God, that was I could really relate to him. Yeah. And if it's just plants the tiny seeds in their minds and they go do you know what i've really got to look at my drinking or absolutely that's i I had a a a message from someone yesterday actually and and she she was quite crafty actually um but it worked and i loved it what she did her partner was drinking too much so she put one of my podcasts on in the background like pretty (laughs) quietly, you know again subliminal right and um he he then said to what 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 is this? Because I can relate to that. And now he's listened to all of them, and he's now a month sober.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, and and things like, like that, that that you think, do you know what? This is going out globally, and I wonder how many people it's trickling into their thought process, and gradually, like when I used to say, "and I've got to do something about it." If it plants that little seed in there, like hearing your story of how your drinking got and how it ruined your marriage and how you've fought your way back
1: to where you are now, then it's doing a job, isn't it? Totally. And speaking even from experience for me personally, that's why I need to listen to stuff like your podcast or like watch interviews of, of sober people talking. Cause I need that identification. Otherwise, like you said, you do feel very isolated and, and it, it I don't know, like, cause especially sort of in the community I'm in like bands and rock music, it's, it's glamorized, isn't it? And like, it's more of a stigma to stop drinking than it is to start drinking or to, to continue drinking. So, yeah. and anyone who knows me, like there's interviews available. You can find them on, on YouTube of me, absolutely out my face. Anyone who knows me or has known me knows what I'm like. And if they can see that someone like me can remove alcohol and drugs from my life and be happier than ever, I think maybe, it, like you said, it could at least plant a seed. And do you know what, mate?
0: My old self would have been coming off of this and going straight on to see you like that. And I don't want to do that because I'm I'm seeing the man in front of me now, and I can tell you, such a lovely bloke, a really nice, humble you man. You me cry.
1: I appreciate and, that. And, and that's lot, what I you.
0: want to know you as. I don't want to know you as that person before because that's then, and this is now. And this is what I say about people on this journey. Sometimes you just got to let the past go. And be in the present and look forward because when you look at it like that, it makes such a difference because we can all beat ourselves up about who we've upset, what we've done about the past. But, you know, you can apologise and, and it's clear that you've made amends with your friends in that. But once that's done, you have to move on because yeah, we're here now and, and we need to process that and
1: move forward. And I think it's really important absolutely i I appreciate that a lot man thank you but yeah you're totally right
0: well look i'm a big fan of you already and uh i I wish you best luck with your new album coming up thank you son um and and let's stay in touch absolutely definitely 100 percent mate well thanks for joining me good luck mate
1: see you soon thank you very much mate take care bye
0: i hope you've enjoyed today's episode of one for the road Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can now download my app Sober Dave on the Apple and Google Play Store. And on there you will find lots of tutorials, tips and support to help you stop drinking. And there are also meditation audios, food plans and chat forums. You can also find me on Instagram at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode, but until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.